to V-Back Birth Stories, a podcast where Australians share their journey to a vaginal birth after cesarean. We are a safe haven for women to share their own V-Back journeys and through these personal experiences, educate and empower listeners. I'm your host, Mel. And I'm your host, Steph. And this is V-Back Birth Stories. Hi everyone and welcome to this week's episode of VBAC Birth Stories. Mel and I met with Emma, a mum of two boys who lives in Wollongong, south of Sydney. Emma is a nurse turned midwife and she's also a prenatal yoga teacher. Emma's first birth in the private system ended in an emergency cesarean after she was induced at 39 weeks. It was discovered later that scar tissue from a previous LETS procedure may have played a role in not allowing her labour to progress. Emma was determined the second time around to really maintain that positive mindset and she accessed a variety of resources in order to assist her. Among these, she enrolled in a calm birth course and she also chose a different model of care under the midwifery practice group in her local public hospital. Emma ended up being induced for her VBAC with a Foley's balloon catheter and it's interesting to hear how this assisted in her second labour due to the positive effect that it had on her scar tissue. Just a trigger warning that stillbirth is briefly mentioned in this episode. We do hope that you gain a lot of knowledge and understanding listening to Emma's unique VBAC story and we thank Emma for sharing her story with us. This episode of VBAC Birth Stories is brought to you by Calm Birth. Calm Birth education courses provide the tools for couples to prepare emotionally, mentally and physically for birth, whichever course it may take. Calm Birth encourages the presence of a partner or birth support person during all of its classes, regardless of age, culture, socioeconomic or sexual orientation. The benefits of the course to couples are invaluable and goes beyond the birth process, teaching life skills and techniques which can be used in parenting and beyond. The Calm Birth program provides the tools and evidence-based knowledge required to support the birthing partner at an emotional and physical level. This certainly does come across in today's episode, where the support person becomes just as empowered as the birthing woman, holding true to one of Calm Birth's mottos, There's no birth like a calm birth. If you'd like to learn more about their program and find an educator local to you, head over to their website, calmbirth.com.au. Thanks so much, Emma, for joining us today to share your VBAC journey. We'd love to start by asking you to just tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, sure. So I'm Emma. I'm 30 years old. I'm a registered nurse and I've been working in critical care for the last, oh, it'd been nearly 10 years now. But I'm actually going back to train as a midwife in July, which I'm really excited about. I've been wanting to do it for a really long time and it's only an extra 12 months of study. So really looking forward to that. I'm also a prenatal yoga teacher too. So my husband and I own a gym. It's like a yoga and movement studio here in Wollongong. Mm. And as a bit of a subdivision of that, we created Ghetto Mamas, which is I guess the idea kind of came from wanting to create like a supportive environment for women, like beyond your usual mother's group, like something that brings women together, but you're not just sitting around in a circle talking about 
you know, what your baby did that day. Like I wanted to Doing make something it, physically active. And, yeah, yeah. And also obviously meant like the mental benefits of yoga as well. So using that as the tool, but still providing an environment for women to come together and connect, which is awesome. I'm so, so passionate about that. And I look forward to bringing midwifery and prenatal yoga together to do something. I don't know what yet, but <laughs> something yeah. down the track. Yeah. So um, my husband, Will, we've been married for three years now. We've got two beautiful boys, Bowie, who is two and my just wild child and Billy, who's six months and he's just a chilled little angel. He's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> do you feel like the, the call to midwifery was also part of your own birth experience? Do you think? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Like it's always, women's health's always been something I've been interested in and I've wanted to do midwifery for a really long time, but other opportunities in my career have come up and I've chosen to take them at that time. And I just feel like now is the right time to do it. And it's definitely got to do with the experiences that I've had and, and you know, being a mum myself now and obviously being able to have that sort of empathy as a midwife myself. Before you fell pregnant with Bowie, who was your mm. first, did you have any preconceived ideas about birth or the process, any fears or anything like that? Yeah, I was actually very anxious through that whole pregnancy with Bowie. It was a combination. I think as a nurse, and I know that a lot of people have said the same things in the past, you, you almost know too much. And I have been exposed to some pretty tragic sort of traumatic cases at work that unfortunately those are the ones that kind of stick with you. So I was nervous about everything. I was nervous about miscarriage in the early stages. I was worried about falling pregnant initially. I was nervous about complications, stillbirth, like you name it. It was making me quite anxious. And I think as well, like family and friends experiences, like a lot of my friends had gone through the private system. So that heavily sort of influenced the fact that we chose to go private with Bowie's birth. My mum had two cesareans. It's funny, that didn't make me think that I was going to have a cesarean, but I did have that in the back of my mind. Like I've read her birth card and know that she labored spontaneously with my older sister. And, you know, she did manage to get to about seven or eight centimeters before being taken for emergency C-section. And then when she fell pregnant the second time, it was with twins. So my sister, like, I, I'm a twin. So she chose for an elective cesarean then. Yeah. Mm. But so I knew that that was like, you know, something that had happened to my mom and I knew that that was an option, but funnily enough, I didn't think that it was going to happen to me. So do you want to take us to Bowie's pregnancy? What was your experience like? So Will and I got married in the January of 2018 and then we were booked to go on a big honeymoon in the March. So there was a little bit of a gap, but it was to do with the weather being better and the surf being better and that sort of stuff. So we'd kind of agreed I didn't want to be pregnant on the honeymoon. But I also said to him like, oh, you know, like I doubt we'll get pregnant first go. These things take time. <laughs> sure thing. Bob's your uncle first go. We managed to fall pregnant with Bowie, which we were obviously really excited about, but it did change the dynamic of the, the honeymoon just slightly. <laughs> and it was, it was a, just it, a few mocktails there instead yes. of what you imagined. <laughs> yeah. It was, we did Thailand, Sri Lanka and the Maldives. So it was oh, like wow. a lot of traveling as well. And Sri Lanka is like all car trips and going about 40 kilometers an hour. And it's just like, oh, not ideal when you're very, very sick, but we still had a great time. Um, but yeah, so it was a big rush before we left to quickly like book in with obstetricians, go and see my GP, had blood tests and stuff. And then we were kind of off and, and on the honeymoon. So the pregnancy itself was rough. Like I was very sick through the whole pregnancy. It didn't really ease up at all. And I had pretty much every symptom under the sun. I had like migraines through the whole pregnancy. I suffer from bad migraines, but they were they were much worse during that pregnancy. We had a little bit of a scare 
after our 12-week scan as well. We actually came back high risk on the nuchal translucency test for one of the chromosomal conditions, trisomy 18. That's Edward syndrome. We got a phone call from our obstetrician. I think it was, it would have been a Friday afternoon because I remember thinking that I couldn't do anything until the Monday, go and get any further testing done until the Monday. So she rang us and said, basically, we'd come back high risk, one in 211 for Edward syndrome. So basically with the NT scan, apparently what they do is they do the 12-week scan and you have some blood tests and then they kind of put them in a system, the results of it, and it spits out like a likelihood of you, your baby having one of these conditions. And even though one in 211 is still a very small chance, we still needed to go and have further testing done to make sure, especially because she said that Edward syndrome was incompatible with life. So wasn't sure that the pregnancy would make it to full term. And then even if I did, the baby probably wouldn't survive past um, a couple of weeks. So we rushed off to go get the harmony test on the Monday. And then it was like a week of just total torture waiting for the results but luckily everything came back okay but that was that was hard and I think that that really contributed to my anxiety in that pregnancy as well it sort of set us up for me feeling just very uneasy through the whole experience apart from that it was like and apart from feeling unwell it was a really normal pregnancy no complications at all the results from the um, nuclear translucency skin did suggest that the reason why they came back high was because I think I had low levels of pap a which can sometimes be linked to low birth weight so towards the end of the pregnancy she wanted me our obstetrician wanted me to have more regular scans just growth scans another thing that kind of contributed to the anxiety so Will's mum she told, even before we were pregnant, told me this like heartbreaking story that her first birth was actually a stillborn. She went full term with a stillborn baby and that her due date came and went and the baby was moving. And then when she got to about 42 weeks, she just woke up and knew something wasn't right. And sure thing went in and the baby had passed away. So I was getting really nervous, getting close to the due date because of that story. Mm. And I'd verbalized that to my obstetrician and her response was basically, no worries, we'll induce you at 39 weeks. I think at the time I needed that, like looking Mm. back on it now, I feel like that put me at ease. I understand that that was probably her thought process as well when she offered me the induction, but looking back on it now, there wasn't any attempt to kind of address the anxiety and the the root cause of the anxiety, which I think should have been done like you know there could have been suggestions to refer to a perinatal psychologist or even just speaking with me about my my concerns around that but it was just straight to an offer for induction but yeah I mean like I said at the time that made me feel at ease and so um, I think also the way that the induction was proposed was very like blase it wasn't made out to be something of concern and that it was almost a routine thing. So, Mm. which I know is just not the case, especially now that I've gone through this journey. And obviously, like, I think the post that you guys put up recently about it on Instagram is just so accurate that it's, there's just not enough information about inductions Mm. offered. Um, And she also mentioned a lot about this recent study, apparently that was done that shows benefits for bub and for mum at 39 weeks. So that for me at the time was comforting and we just agreed that that was probably the best option for us so yeah we went in I think I would have been 38 and 5 went into the hospital the night before and I had the prostin gel put in I think it was six hours apart I had a few doses it was a pretty uncomfortable night just 
a lot of tightenings and contractions throughout the night, but nothing that eventuated into labor. And then the following morning, my husband and my twin sister came in and they took us over to the birth suite. My obstetrician met us and they tried to break my waters. When she did like the internal examination, she just basically said that my cervix was still closed and there was nothing happening and she wasn't able to break my cervix despite trying really, really hard. <laughs> that was probably the most uncomfortable experience through that, that particular labor. After about 20 minutes of trying, she just sort of said, okay, we'll we'll just ditch that for now. Let's start the Cinto and hopefully in a couple of hours' time, the Cinto will have gotten the ball rolling for us and then we can try and wrap shield waters then. So I was like, yeah, okay, if that's that's what you think, let's, let's go ahead and do that. So that's what we did. They started the drip and they were coming in sort of incrementally and turning it up. I felt fine. Like the contractions were mild. They weren't anything that was unbearable. I was like on my feet moving around and they popped their head in after maybe only an hour or so and said, oh, um, if you want an epidural, the anaesthetist goes home at 11 or 12. So you should probably just get one like before then. And I was like, oh, I feel okay. Like <laughs> I don't think I need one or want one like is it going to be impossible for me to get one after they go mm. home and they said no 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 it's not going to be impossible it's just that we then have to call the on-call anesthetist so it might just take a little bit longer for them to come in so I was like yeah that's okay I'm, I'm happy to wait sort of thing so kept on going they kept on turning it up and nothing too much was happening like I was starting to feel a bit uncomfortable but definitely not what I'd thought a lot of people had described inductions to me as really intense and full on but I was like oh this is labor like I've got it I'm fine. <laughs> your obstetrician Emma wasn't yeah. with you it was the midwives that were working with the obstetrician who were who were basically communicating all this sort of stuff to you yeah, yeah. she so the, my obstetrician was there in the morning when she tried to break my waters and then she went and I think she's in her rooms for the day and the midwives took care of me and they just communicated with her so they checked me again a couple hours later to see if they could break my waters. And again, the same thing said that there wasn't much happening with my cervix. When they checked my cervix, I still remember the midwife saying like, oh, you've um, got a bit of scar tissue on your cervix. Have you had a procedure done in the past? And I said, yeah, yeah, I had abnormal cells on a pap smear back when I was like 19. So 10 years ago and I had the precancerous cells removed and she goes, yeah, yeah, I can feel the scar tissue. And then that was it. That was the only thing that was mentioned that wasn't then brought up at any other point later on. So we just kept on going and I started to feel really, really unwell. So like quite nauseous. And then I was getting black spots in my eyes and tingling in my fingers, in my hands. And I thought, oh no, this is the start of a migraine. And I've suffered with them my whole life and they're very much hormone driven. And I was beginning to think like these, this high dose of the syntocin was causing this migraine to come on. And then I really started to panic because my migraines are debilitating. Like I lose my speech and I can't like, I, I can't function. So I started to think to myself, how the hell am I going to have a baby if I've got a migraine sort of thing? Mm. So the nurses quickly came in and they contacted my obstetrician. And the only thing that usually works for me is aspirin, like a really big dose of aspirin, which you can't take during pregnancy and especially not during labor. So they said, oh, well, we can try some endo and see if that helps, which they gave me. And it was probably like a good two or three hours where I was trying to battle through this migraine to, to go away. And luckily it did start to fade off. But I think that that was 
the start of me just really starting to feel quite defeated. They checked me again after that period of time and still nothing had happened. And I just thought to myself, like, I I have no idea how I'm going to do this. Like I just had this residual headache from the migraine. I was nauseous, exhausted. I heard them on the phone talking to my obstetrician something along the lines of like, have you suggested that she's probably going to need a cesarean if things don't progress? And yeah, so like I knew that that was on the cards. So I said, oh, I, I think I'm ready to have the epidural because my nurse brain kind of went straight to look if it's an emergency caesar the epidural's there and like you know there's no mucking around kind of thing and I also thought that would just maybe help to relax me a little bit because I was just so wound up from what had happened so we did that I had the epidural they had sort of mentioned to me that sometimes an epidural can help with dilation as well so women in the past that have, have had that those problems have got an epidural and it's just helped them relax and get things moving so I was like yep whatever I'm happy to do anything that's going to help. And yeah, so basically my obstetrician came in at the end of the day. This had been about eight or nine hours now. And she did a check in, same thing, nothing had happened. And she basically said, look, some women don't have the receptor cells on their uterus to respond to the Sinto. And it's funny how like comments like that stick with you because that stuck with me through all of Billy's pregnancy as well, my second pregnancy. And she said, and some some women just don't progress in labour. And I think that that's the case here with you. So I would suggest a cesarean or I'm happy to give you, say, another four hours. I'll go home and have dinner and come back. But I really think the outcome is going to be the same. And so Will and I just looked at each other and said like, okay, like at that point I was just so defeated and I just wanted I wanted him out and I wanted him safe. So we chose to do that. So they took us down to theatre and like, I mean, the cesarean itself was as good as cesareans go, I guess, like the staff were all really amazing and we got some beautiful photos taken and we'd made it pretty clear that we didn't know that we we're having a boy at that point. So Will wanted to be the one that told me that we we're having a boy and my obstetrician was, she was beautiful. She's like, yep, yeah, like I, I can pull the drapes down at the same time so that you can both see what it is and, and all of that sort of stuff. And yeah, so we were lucky in that sense. And my midwife also stayed through the whole cesarean and then into recovery as well. So I was, I hate saying that I was lucky enough to bring Bowie with me because I think that should be standard, but he did, he came with me to recovery and I didn't have to be separated from him, which definitely helped. He was a little champ, like he was big boy. He was Oh, not huge, but he was like 3.9 kilos or like almost nine pounds and had a huge head. It was like 38 centimeters. He latched straight away and he just fed like a, like a champ. Well, yeah, it was, it was fine, but I think it wasn't until afterwards that I started to kind of process it all and realize that there was a few things that happened that could have been avoided. Did anyone at the hospital give you a debrief after the cesarean to talk to you about what had unfolded with the induction or did you sort of just go straight home uh no it it wasn't really something that someone came in and sort of said how do you feel about what happened and I think it just made me realize that that's because it probably happens quite commonly and it wasn't really deemed a big deal at all and it wasn't yeah like I said it wasn't until afterwards I think I was so wrapped up in those like first time mum you know feels in those first couple of weeks where you're just trying to survive that the birth kind of got pushed aside and it wasn't until later that I started to think that, yeah, that I was pretty upset about what had happened. And as well, postpartum, I just got these, I, the migraines kept rolling in as well. I think I just that huge dose of syntocin was still in my system and I had a lot of pain and was taking a lot of pain relief medications and stuff. So that first, in particular, the first week of Bowie's life is just 
such a blur when it should really be the happiest time of your life, but I, I barely remember it, to be honest. How did you go with processing the birth? Do you want to tell us about that? Yeah, I think it was a couple months in and just speaking to other women that were pregnant around the same time. We had a group of us that were all sort of having babies within a few months of each other. And I started to see the trend of, um, say, care providers and outcomes and hospitals and outcomes. And I started to think like that I was... um, ripped off for want of a better term but I just feel like the experience that I had wasn't what should what should have happened I I mean I I can't Mm. think of another way to describe it but that's just honestly how I felt and then I think that's when I really started to delve into my yoga and in particular my prenatal yoga and postnatal yoga and just started to become a lot more confident like with my body and capable what my body's capable of and I think seeing what my body recovered from after the cesarean as well actually gave me a lot of confidence because I thought to myself like if women can survive from huge surgery like this which again is totally downplayed similar to induction like it's like oh it's fine like you just had a c-section like everyone has c-sections kind of thing but the amount of pain and the recovery was just like that blew my mind yeah I was unfortunate to have a pretty rough recovery from that like my scar got infected and then I had to go on antibiotics for that and yeah just yeah yeah it was really hard then you said that you you hadn't progressed your cervix hadn't really changed does that mean that you didn't dilate at all is did they tell you that you hadn't dilated even a centimeter what was the did they give you yes so basically they didn't really give me numbers they said Mm. one of the midwives said she could only fit sort of the tip of her pinky finger in my cervix at one point and then another comment that was made down the track was that they actually thought I was going backwards and that they couldn't even do that anymore um so I wasn't even ever in established labor I was just it was this artificial labor trying to make my body do something that it wasn't ready for especially even when I went in to put the they put the prostin jelly in she said yeah it's still long and closed and that should have been my first red flag like hang on a minute I'm forcing my body to do something that it's just not ready for the comment about the scar tissue was so flippant and it wasn't ever brought back up again that it it kind of left my mind so I didn't ever think again that perhaps that was something that may have affected my labor from progressing so yeah it was yeah did you ever look into that later on did you look into the fact that that could have stalled the labor in any way like is that actually a possibility I did but it wasn't until Billy's pregnancy when they then discovered it again and that was when my midwives really flagged it as a potential for stopping my labor from progressing in the first place and potentially affecting whether or not I was going to be able to have a natural birth the second time around so and I 100% know that that affects it now but at that time it wasn't it was sort of like you know, it was just disregarded completely. Okay. In regards to what your obstetrician recommended for future pregnancies. Uh, was so, yeah, we went, as it was, we went in at our six-week appointment and I said, like, what's the chances of me having a, a vaginal birth in the future? And she basically said um, 15% chance of having a vaginal birth. And she said often women that fail to progress, hate that term, but often women that fail to progress in labour, it 
it happens again. It happens in subsequent pregnancies. She then she then brought up again something to do with receptor cells on my uterus not responding to um, Sinto and potentially oxytocin as well. And she also said that she would have a really strict criteria if I wanted to have a VBAC. The baby would need to be average size. The baby would, like I would need to go into spontaneous labour on my own by 40 weeks and there needed to be at least 18 months between pregnancies. So it was always like, it was always going to be a very, very strict criteria if I wanted to have a VBAC with her. How were you feeling when you fell pregnant with Billy? Were you thinking about VBAC as a possibility at this point or was all of that sort of talk from your obstetrician, I guess, affecting your mindset in when you became pregnant uh, with I think- Billy? It was affecting it, but in the complete opposite. Like I was on a mission. I'm like, no, I'm having this baby out of my vagina. Oh, wow. <laughs> and it's happening. I'm like, so I kind of took it in my stride. And, and like I said, I did a lot of work in that first 12 months of Bowie's life. I really like, they say that you're born again when you become a mum, And it's so true. I just worked so hard on like easing any anxiety that I had. And I was surrounded by like beautiful women that just had the most amazing, amazing birth stories. And I was just so determined to have the same experience as well. I just felt like I was robbed from that. And I, I knew that the possibility of another cesarean was there, but I just thought if I do everything that I can in my power, then at least I would feel as though I gave it my best shot. So yeah, I knew straight away I wanted to be back. I just knew it. And like Will was on board. He, I'd told him about it. And he's like, yep, whatever you want to do, babe, like we'll do it. So I was sort of thinking like, okay, I need to do so many things differently in this pregnancy that I didn't do in my pregnancy with Bowie. Was one of those things choosing a different care provider? Yes, straight away. Yeah. I'd looked into different options and I toyed with the idea of a home birth and I did speak to a couple of different midwives about a home birth, but I couldn't completely get that nurse brain out of my head. And I just decided that a home birth wasn't for me. And I was full aware that like you need to feel safe and calm in the environment that you're in. I just didn't think that home was that place for me. So the next best thing that I could think of was midwifery group practice at the public hospital and your continuity of care in VBACs is just like such a huge, huge predictor of success. And I wanted to try and get into MGP so I could have that continuity. And I was lucky enough to get in. I got a phone call at eight weeks to say that um, I'd gotten a spot. We went down that path, which was the best decision that we made. So you made these changes the second time around and how did the rest of the pregnancy go? How did that unfold for you? In general, the pregnancy itself was just like chalk and cheese to Bowie's, which is funny because they are totally chalk and cheese in personality as well. (laughs) So I was pretty sick in the first trimester, but it only lasted the first trimester. And then after that, I just felt amazing. I was like one of those annoying annoyingly positive women during pregnancy. Were you that unicorn pregnant pregnant unicorn lady? Yes, that was me. I was like, look at me. My skin is glowing. I feel fantastic and I'm full of energy. And one of the big things that I wanted to do and I chose to do was I was only going to speak positively about my pregnancy and I was determined to do that. Like even on those days where I felt crappy, I was like, I'm going to just get up and like if people ask me how I am, I'm going to tell them that I'm fine and I'm great and I'm feeling really good. And I honestly think that that made the world of difference because as pregnant 
as you, like, especially with Bowie's pregnancy, I can totally understand. I just felt rotten the whole time. So it's really easy to get stuck in that sort of negative mindset. People ask you how you're feeling. You're like, oh, I'm tired. I'm sore. I'm like, I'm like, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to be really, really positive about it. That was one of the main things that I did. And I was also like really physically fit. And I wanted to make sure that I was like as mentally and physically strong as possible. So I was walking 10,000 steps a day. I was doing yoga every day. I was just like on my feet the whole time. I was working and working on my feet all the time. I actually felt much better when I was moving. So I was like, okay, I'm going to keep this up as long as I can. When I went back to work, I didn't go back in the role that I was doing prior to Bowie. So it was a lot less stressful and the workplace was a lot less toxic and it was, I was enjoying myself and, you know, my environment around me everywhere was just much more positive, which plays such a huge impact in, you know, how everything else kind of unfolds. I was seeing a naturopath regularly as well and she was great. So we got bloods done and she kind of analyzed them and we did some tweaks in my diet and she was giving me a few different herbal tonics at like different stages in my, in my pregnancy to help with certain, certain things and balancing out hormones and things like that. And I was having acupuncture every week, like literally from the beginning of my pregnancy all the way through, which I think definitely played a massive, massive part in as as well. So, Mm. and I prioritized rest, like rest was just such an important thing. I was, you know, like any moment I could, I was making sure that I was, you know, taking a nap or whatever it was just to try. And and how old was your first by this stage? So I fell pregnant with Billy when Bowie was one and I was still breastfeeding him. So I breastfed Bowie through my pregnancy with Billy as well. I think it was about 22 weeks that my milk dried up, but yeah, I still very much had a baby to take care of, but I was just trying to take it in my stride and wow. yeah, keep going with that. Yeah. So, but yeah, like I said, I had, a, I had an annoyingly great pregnancy. It was actually really, really nice. <laughs> did you, what else did you do differently? It looks like your mindset, you, you've obviously changed that. You've, um, you've done acupuncture. You've done a few things in a naturopath. Anything else that you did differently this time? Did you do a birth preparation course? Um, yes, yes, yeah. I did. So it was actually, the timing was quite funny. In Wollongong, prior to, I guess, the beginning of 20. 2020, we didn't have any calm birth courses in the local area. They were sort of like the Southern Highlands, I think was that was the closest. And then the beginning of 2020, um, one of our local midwives, Lindell, started up calm birth in Wollongong. And I already knew Lindell, that like we had some mutual friends. So we already had a bit of a relationship and teaching prenatal yoga. We'd kind of networked in that birthing space before, which was, which was really nice. She was a familiar face. And so Will and I decided that we would do the calm birth course, just had friends that had raved about it previously. And I think I would have been about 34 weeks pregnant we did it in May and that was in the midst of COVID so it was in full swing at that point so it was via Zoom which was actually awesome like it was middle of winter I was 34 weeks pregnant in my pajamas on the couch (laughs) (laughs) we sent Bowie to my mum's for the weekend and it was like all right this is good this is so so good and it was just such a huge contrast to the birthing classes that we did at the private hospital with Bowie like the content was very much around birth being a very natural sort of physiological process and they went into full depth of you know those physiological processes which I thought I being a nurse I thought I knew them pretty well but the way that they described them and like everything from how like the tone of your uterus the muscular tone of your uterus changes during different stages of pregnancy and how your pelvis shifts and how hormones cascade and all that sort of stuff it just all started to make so much more sense and I was surprised at how calm it made me with the whole process it's almost like 
I think we freak out at different stages in labor because things become really intense and really painful, but knowing what was happening and the changes that were happening with our body and that, you know, the baby was moving down and like that kind of put you at ease because you thought, okay, all right, this is what's happening now. And they also really focus on your mind body connection as well. So how we can use different techniques like visualization and breathing techniques to help us through those different stages of labor really encouraged us to be active during labor and moving around and how our partner can support us at different stages of the labor as well like when to use touch and when not to use touch and that sort of stuff which was that was probably one of the biggest benefits of it was how empowered will felt as a result like he just he was pumped at the end of it he's like yeah babe let's do this (laughs) (laughs) I was trying to ask you so how involved is is the partner in the course when you when you do these things oh like come back in particular like it it very very much focuses on the role of the of the partner and it was funny seeing will utilize the tools that he learned in the course in our labor like it was hilarious he's like all right everyone we have a birth plan I need you to sit down and listen to it <laughs> That's like awesome. the project manager oh my god it was so funny it was so good and like he's telling all his mates about it. he's like you guys have to do this calm birth course it's honestly it's it's so good <laughs> which is good like and then it made me more excited because he was more excited and I was yeah. like yes like we're doing this together so and that's why I thought it was so good because it was very much about like empowering women to take control and it's their choice and how to advocate for yourself and and things yeah. like that so it was good like even things like they taught you about how terminology is often used like you know they might say you're a hundred times more likely to have a uterine rupture like if you've had a cesarean in the past versus not having a cesarean in the past and that sounds terrifying but when you ask for the specific statistics like the likelihood is still like you know, half a percent that you're going to have a rupture, which means 99.5% of women go on and they they don't have any issues. But the way that they framed it is like a scare tactic. So they teach you how to like decipher that terminology and how to not let it get you down which I like obviously as a VBAC that was just that was priceless that helped Mm. so so much yeah. And I think it's about, yeah, making informed decisions. And as you said, not making a decision out of fear, but having that knowledge that you need. So knowing what the statistics mean, yeah, not being sort of scared into making a decision either way. Yeah, exactly. And like we definitely experienced that down the track when it was about 36 weeks, we went and had a growth scan done and Billy was measuring in the 98th percentile, which I knew would happen. Like I'm a tall girl. Billy was a big, Bowie was a big boy. So like, you know, I never expected to have small or average size babies. I was always expecting to have a big baby, but just as a formality, we had to have an appointment with the obstetricians, which my midwife, I'd spoken to her about it. Like she, my midwife was awesome. She was, we connected with her straight away and she was just so good. Like she's been of a badass like she had tats and like a side of the head was shaved and I was like <laughs> she was cool like we loved her so much and we just got along so well from the very beginning and she was like she had actually attempted a VBAC herself so she had two cesareans and attempted a VBAC herself and even though yeah. she wasn't able to have one like she understood the want of a yeah, woman she understood like an, your desire to want yeah to yeah, yeah, so yeah. I think we just totally like lucked out with getting her as well because she was just awesome. She's like, look, we need to meet with the obstetricians. It's purely a formality. I'm still on board with going ahead with everything, so don't stress kind of thing. So we're like, okay. So that was sort of like I knew that was going to be our first hurdle was the size. Yeah. 
Yeah. Just before that, though, with, with regards to the continuity of care, so you've experienced mm. continuity of care with an obstetrician in the private yeah. and now you're experiencing a continuity of care with a midwife in the, in the public hospital system. What was sort of the key difference? I think yeah, you sort of touched on it, obviously, that relationship building is there. Like yeah. They, did she also come to your home? What was it? What were those appointments like? Well, because it was um, in the middle of COVID. COVID it, yeah. yeah. So initially um, we had our first appointments face to face and then COVID hit and a lot of it was over the phone, but it kind of made it a little bit more personal because like we were texting just randomly, like I could just send her a text and like, you know, it started to feel a little bit like a friendship rather than a formal relationship. Like there wasn't sitting in the waiting room, going into the office or anything like that. It just became like a chat between friends kind of thing, which was actually really nice. Yeah. And I definitely felt as though the relationship was more genuine and she was like looking at the holistic picture, like, mm-hmm. and how, how are you mentally Emma? And, you know, even like, how are you, Will, how are you going? That sort of stuff. And I, I think that that was probably the difference. And I think, yeah, like I would take that on board as a midwife myself. Like I would want to build a friendship with the women rather than just make it like a clinical kind of interaction. Mm, yeah. At what stage were you of this pregnancy when COVID hit? What was the, how many um, weeks were you? So I probably was about halfway when we went into lockdown. Yeah. Yep. You know how you said to us that you were determined to be positive during this pregnancy no matter what and kind of go forward with that attitude. Did COVID have any effect on that mindset or did it make you even more determined to be positive about the whole experience? Yeah, it made it definitely made me even more determined. And I was like, I was actually thinking that, and I know that a lot of people have spoken about it now, but there's probably some really good things that COVID has brought out in especially first time mums but just in in general when it comes to to labor and having your baby like the idea that like the partner really has to step up because quite often you're only allowed one other person there with you and I think that that is so true and you sort of become a lot more connected as a couple because you know that you kind of have to lean on one another I mean I was working at the time in a hospital as well and not in the hospital I gave birth at but I was kind of I was switched on to what was happening and we were lucky in Wollongong we weren't really affected too badly by what was happening so I felt I still felt pretty safe and if anything like it the lack of face-to-face appointments kind of gave me more confidence that intervention wasn't necessary like I was just Mm. talking on the phone like I and I was totally fine and everything was working out really well so I was like we we don't need all of these appointments and tests and scans it's just not necessary we're capable of doing it on our own you were supported well by your husband obviously um yeah and I mean your family were they on board with your VBAC as well um, yeah, yeah, very, very much. Supportive. Yeah, like that's good. It's funny. Mum had mum had two cesareans, so she was just kind of like, "Whatever you want to do, darling." But like, you know, yeah, <laughs> it's, she's, she, she, I think she was trying to make me feel better by saying like, "It doesn't determine the rest of your life. Like, you are yeah. still giving birth. You're still." So she was coming from mm. someone that hadn't had a vaginal birth, and she said, "I still feel just as much of a mother as anyone else out there." So mm. which did, it yeah. did make me feel better, but mm. um, yeah, yeah. So, but yeah, everyone was board we were lucky mm-hmm. yeah that's and great how did you feel about uterine rupture was that on your mind at all no it never was which is mm-hmm. funny it was never really something that worried me too much I knew statistically it was a very low risk and that there's even a risk for women that hadn't had a cesarean before to have a rupture so it wasn't really too much on my mind I was a little bit worried about um like a lot of people saying that you should try and avoid having epidural because it can mask 
like, you know, symptoms of pain from from a uterine rupture. So that was the only thing in my mind. And I was quite determined not to have an epidural with Billy's birth um, because that was in the back of my mind. But at the same time, it wasn't something that I was super anxious about or anything. Right. Did you want to take us to when the obstetricians were discussing the risks with you of having a larger baby, which they term, you know, the term they use is macrosomic when they're anticipated to be larger than average. Did you want to take us through those discussions that you were having and different options that were presented to you? Yep. So we went in to have that appointment, especially after the ultrasound came back that he was macrosomic. The obstetrician that we spoke to, she definitely, like she said, she just previously had a woman in just before me and they had come to a decision that if she hadn't got into labor by herself by 40 weeks, she was just going to have an elective cesarean. And I was like, what? (laughs) I was like, that poor woman, like obviously, unless that's what she wanted, but I was like that no that no thank you that's not an option (laughs) like she definitely started off with the scare tactics like you know you've got a bigger baby you've already got a scar in your uterus like you know that that increases your risk of rupture which I knew wasn't true anyway you know you've got risk of shoulder dissocia like permanent disability your baby could get stuck your baby could die like all of those things all those scare tactics and I I after she'd finished I said to her like I like thank you for discussing the risks with me I I really appreciate you taking the time to do that I was determined not to be obstructive like I still wanted to work with the medical team because I just thought that that would like I said I'm a nurse so I do appreciate modern medicine when it's needed but at the same time I think it's used too often but yeah I just wanted to make sure that that relationship wasn't damaged because I thought that that would probably help me down the track a bit better anyway and also being a nurse you probably have that knowledge that yeah yeah. operate better in the clinical setting when everyone's sort of working together rather than that's right and I sort of thought like you know if she if she looks at us as a couple that are being reasonable about the situation that she was probably more likely to be on board with what I wanted which was to try and go into labor spontaneously on my own I'd sort of had a conversation with Kylie where I said like okay I'm going to leave my nurse brain at the door and I need you to just chime in and tell me if you think I'm pushing it too far and she's like yeah good so like that we were on board with that which was good because that helped for me I was like okay I can just relax and if my intuition is telling me everything is fine then I'm just going to follow that and she will tell me if if she thinks like, you know, we need to do anything different. So that was the plan. And yeah, like I said, I just said, thank you for taking me through the risks, but I honestly feel okay about it. Um, I don't want to book an elective cesarean. And she said, okay, well, what about an induction? Like if it was up to me, I would induce you next week. And I was like, well, no, Mm. but thank you. But thank you. (laughs) She said, okay, what about an induction? Like on your due date. And I just said, I, I don't want a date. I don't want to lock in a date. Like mentally, I just feel like that's going to put too much pressure on myself. And if anything, it's going to inhibit, you know, the likelihood of me going into labor because I'm just going to be so like tense Mm. about it. And she did like a, she palpated my belly and she sort of said like, yeah, I agree. This baby isn't, it doesn't even palpate that big. I think it's probably an average size baby. So I'm okay with the plan to just sort of see how you go over the next couple of weeks. And like, you know, a bit closer to the time, I think you should really do the best you can to try and go into labor on your own. And I was like, I've only been trying that for this whole pregnancy. So don't worry. Like <laughs> I, I've got you covered. Like I was like, okay, I'm having the acupuncture and I've, I've started, I've started it all sort of thing. So we kind of left that appointment it, on good terms. Everyone was happy with the plan. And so the idea was that at 30, 38 weeks, I would go in and see my midwife and I was happy to 
have an internal examination and see if anything was happening with my cervix. And that's when, for the first time, Kylie mentioned the scar tissue that came up again. Yeah, Mm. so basically she did an internal and the first thing she said was, you've had surgery on your cervix, which it was in my medical history, but she didn't realise that I had like prominent scar tissue on my cervix. And I said, yeah, 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 It it was 10 years ago. So I think they worry about the LETS procedures if they're quite close to the pregnancy, but because mine was like 10 years ago, it shouldn't have been too much of an issue. Um, and she said, okay, all right, well, there's not, not anything happening with your cervix, but you're only 38 weeks. So don't stress. Um, we'll, we'll have another appointment in a week's time and we'll go from there. So I was like, okay. And then in a week's time, I had another appointment. It was with a different midwife. It was, she was on the same team. My midwife was not there that day. And again, the first thing she said when she did an internal, which I'll add, like I consented to the internals, I was totally on board with them. She said, oh, what, what's this scar tissue? And I was like, oh, let's procedure, blah, blah, blah. And she goes, well, you know that this could have been the reason why you didn't progress in your previous labor. And I was like, okay. She goes, yeah, because if you think about it, you've got like your scar tissue, it's quite fibrous and hard and your cervix might not be able to overcome that force in order to open. She said that my cervix had thinned out so it wasn't long anymore, which I was like so excited about because that was already 10 steps ahead of where I'd ever (laughs) been before. I'm like, yes. (laughs) Um, But it was still closed. Um, She said that in the past she has, has had instances where she could kind of like put her finger on the scar tissue and put a bit of pressure on and it released but she tried that with me and it didn't work but she said don't be disheartened like you've still got time and obviously like I left that appointment like straight into research I'm like okay what can I do like (laughs) and they said I'd read like evening primrose oil inserting capsules were good because that like softened your cervix which I was already doing anyway because I knew that it softened your cervix but apparently it was good for scar tissue because it helps to soften the scar tissue so I was like okay tick done that they said you can have sex so semen goes on there I'm like well that definitely ain't happening so we'll give that one a miss (laughs) (laughs) not an option (laughs) so funny how like some people are org for it and some yeah. women are, and, and couples are just like no way no, uh-uh. <laughs> get away from me yeah. yeah so and then another thing that actually came up quite a lot was that if some women weren't able to sort of get past that scar tissue that sometimes a Foley's catheter helped so mm. inserting a Foley's catheter into the to the cervix and inflating a balloon and then sometimes it was just that mechanical force of the Foley's catheter that helped get past that initial resistance of the scar tissue and then like that then allowed the cervix to dilate so I was like okay so that was in my mind that I knew that that was an option but I was still trying my best sort of over that last week to really try and make things happen on its own I knew that the prostin gel just wasn't an option it's contraindicated in VBAC so I knew that that was never going to be an option and I know that some obstetricians are um, against studying Sinto as well so we obviously had that in our mind in terms of like a game plan for what we were going to do if we if we needed to I would have been about 39 and a half weeks and I thought I was going into labor I got so excited like the cramps had started and you know really really bad back pain and I was I was at a first birthday and I remember just getting this urge to go home like I just needed to go home and I was like okay all right and it lasted probably for about oh, eight hours and then it just fizzled out 
and I spoke to my midwife and she's like, that's all really, really good signs, Emma. Like, you know, and I'd gone in for an appointment with her and I was pretty like, yeah, she'd said to me, look, cervix is still the same. Uh, I really think that the scar tissue is, is what's stopping you from going into labor. So um, if you're happy with it, I think we should schedule you for an induction via Foley's catheter. So we decided to do that. So we went in the night before and my midwife was awesome. She was so strategic about when she booked us in. She, um, the, the birth suites had just recently been renovated and they weren't going to be ready until the Tuesday. So she booked me in on the Wednesday. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> she was great. so good. And she also looked at, she looked at which obstetricians were on on the Thursday and she made sure that it was one that was going to be on board with running Sinto in VBACs. Um, she said just it would be good to have that up our sleeve if we needed it. So she was very strategic about when she booked us in and it definitely worked in our favor. What was your what was your headspace like, you know, because you obviously I know that it was the um the gel the first time, um, but then the Sinto was pot, popped in. What was your headspace like about the possibility of having Sinto again because of what had happened in your previous birth? How are you sitting with that idea? Yeah, I was, uh, when you I was nervous. I was really, really nervous about having this in tow again. And I told my midwife about that. And she said, look, it's good as a backup plan and we have it there just in case, um, but we'll try and avoid it at all costs. Um, and like I said, I was seeing a naturopath during my pregnancy as well. And her big sort of focus was on balancing my hormones, which I hadn't done that in my pregnancy with Bowie. And I, it's made such a huge difference even, even now, like the I, I maybe get a migraine every blue moon where I was just getting them very regularly back then. So I think I've found a really good sweet spot with, with the help of my naturopath. Um, so I was a little bit like at ease because of that. I knew that the migraines had improved and I just sort of, I also thought like, you know, where we've come this far, I just need to commit. And if it means running the Sinto, we run the Sinto. Yeah. So yeah, went in on the Wednesday night, had the Foley's catheter put in, which was all right. Like it was uncomfortable, but nothing unbearable. And then taken over to the ward for the night. I really wanted to go home if I could for the night, but hospital policy, they, they like you to stay in for the night. So I did that and I was having contractions pretty much straight away, but they were pretty far apart, maybe 15 minutes or so. They sort of said through the night to tug on the catheter and if it falls out, it's it's a good thing because it means that your cervix is sort of opening past the width of the balloon. So I was tugging, but I, I don't think I was tugging hard enough because in the morning my midwife came in and just yanked it out and I was like, oh, yeah, no, nah, I definitely <laughs> wasn't tugging. You were just being conservative. Yeah. <laughs> so they took us over to the birth suite at about 6 a.m. Like Will had he'd come in at like in his little calm birth folder and came in at 5.30 with a coffee for me and everything. <laughs> rocked up at our local cafe when they were still unpacking the tables and and he was like all right can you make a coffee and I'll finish on unpacking the tables for you like he was so excited so um, and they took yeah they took us over to these beautiful newly renovated birth suites and you know I got a room with a bath and everything and I overlooked the ocean and it was just like everything was looking really good we had this uh, student midwife was with um with, was with Kylie for the day and she was beautiful as well she was just super positive and she's like like do you guys have a birth plan because if you don't mind I want to read it I want to be completely on board with what you want and all this sort of stuff and Will and I were just looking at each other like oh my god like I just can't even believe (laughs) okay great like everything was just working out really well so she pulled out the catheter and said okay we'll have a look and see what's going on and so she did an internal and I just saw a little head pop out and she goes you're two centimeters and we were like yeah 
like we were all Aww. so excited <laughs> and that for me was like just the biggest milestone because in my head was the fact that I might not be able to dilate at all because of the scar tissue and then here I am two centimeters dilated so it was just like it was just such a happy exciting moment and she was like I'm not gonna lie I was nervous as well but <laughs> you know we're, we're we were all so stoked so she went on to break my waters which was another thing that I hadn't experienced before so I just got all these fluids like gushing down my legs I'm like this is amazing <laughs> <laughs> um, were you experiencing any initial contractions at this point or yeah so I was actually which was what made me excited and it made me think like oh wow what I was experiencing in Bowie's birth that wasn't labor or contractions at all like this is this is what it is so they were pretty far apart when the follies were put in they're probably about 15 minutes apart and then when my waters broke I sort of said like I if you like I want to get up and move around and try and make labor happen myself yeah Kylie was really on board with that she's like yep for sure so they were coming probably about 10 minutes apart and they started to build up in intensity so it was good like we sort of felt like everything was moving in the right direction we had a tens machine so when it sort of ramped up a little bit we popped the ten machine tens machine on we had to get kylie to show us how to use it because we were like i haven't even pulled this out of the packet since we ordered it so you're gonna have to show me what we need to do but it was really really good and we were using like the birthing balls and moving around like in positions and like the student midwife had just recently done a spinning babies course so she's like do you mind if i show you a few things and you can like utilize them and stuff so it was really really good like we were we were managing it pretty well. And then it'd probably been about four hours. And that's when Kylie said to me, like, if you don't mind, I'd like to check and see how you're going just so that we can get a bit of a gauge of like, you know, whether or not you, the scar tissue is able to sort of move, move past a certain point, which I consented to. And yes, yeah, she checked and I had only dilated a centimeter. So it was only three centimeters dilated at that point. And I was like, Oh, okay. <laughs> well, that was getting a bit spicy. So, um, what's the next plan? <laughs> what's the next plan? If that's only a centimeter <laughs> shit and she's like how about we just start like a really really like small dose of Cinto just like a tiny little sniff of it we'll start at a very very lowest dose and see how you go and I was like okay like I'd like I said I'd left everything in her hands from like the midwife perspective so I'm like go for it so she, st- yeah, we did that. We started it. And like within 10 minutes, I was this like screaming jungle woman. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> it <was> just- <laughs> but it was funny. Like it still kind of made me excited because I had this Cinto running full ball with Bowie and fa- barely felt anything. And then all of a sudden mm. I was like, oh my God, like I can, like, I can feel it. This is what it is supposed to feel like sort of thing. But they were coming like on top of each other they were probably coming like in nearly every 30 seconds or something like that so they actually it only probably was running for about half an hour and then she turned it off she said no 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 this is this is too much like we don't want to do this so I was like okay um so I'd gotten in the shower at that point and there was like two shower heads I had one on my back one on my belly and that felt really good and so we stayed there for a while but then I needed to mix it up a bit and it wasn't as though like they turn off the Cinto and and labor backed off like it just it stayed pretty intense and so then I got in the bath hated the bath I was excited for the bath but then when I got in I'm like oh get me (laughs) so interesting did you want to stand up is that why like what did you be upright yeah and I just felt like the water temperature was awkward like I Mm. you know you picture Mm. like having this lovely warm bath but it's sort of like just this like weird mild temperature it wasn't cold it wasn't hot and I was like oh no 
get me out. And then I got uh, out were, and it was all wet and cold and I was like, ugh. <laughs> they were obviously happy for you to go into the bath though. Yeah, which sometimes yeah. that can be a bit of a question during feedback. Were they monitoring you intermittently? How was that negotiated? Yeah, they were really good. Kylie had said to me like, yeah, for sure. You're more than welcome to get in the bath, labor in the bath. We usually don't like you to birth in the bath if possible, but we'll just assess how you're going like along the way sort of thing. So she was really good and really open about it. That was the one time that we had like, an, I heard a negative comment outside of the birth suites. It was like, cause there's only certain birth suites with baths. So in terms of allocating them to people, I think I heard Kylie say like, can we get a birth suite with a bath for Emma? And I'd heard one of the women say like, oh, she's a 98% I'll be back. So like kind of, and I was like, mm. Mm. that shouldn't change anything regardless of Mm. if I want to birth in it or labor in it it doesn't matter but other than that like I just brushed that off I was like yeah whatever so Mm. um yeah there was and I did have monitoring on I had the portable CTG monitor but Kylie was also good about that if I wanted to have a little bit of a break with it off just like you know for for a little while she was fine with that and then we'd put it back on so that one can go in the water like in the shower and stuff yeah it's waterproof yeah yeah so got out of the bath quick smart I'm like get me out of this hell hole and um <laughs> never heard that before <laughs> Just me neither. I was inside if I was like picturing me floating in this beautiful water and instead I was like oh get me out <laughs> um and that point like it was getting really really intense and Will had Will was being so so good but like it was little things like he was touching my right arm that was fine if he touched my left arm I wanted to kill him I was like (laughs) it was it was getting to that point where I was a little bit like okay babe you just need to breathe you just need to breathe and I was starting to like lose my confidence and like my headspace at this point because I was just like the pain was just so intense and I would was getting frustrated in different positions. And then I found that leaning over like on all fours on the bed was really comfortable. And that's when my midwife said to me, like, how about you try a bit of gas? And I was like, okay, yep. Oh, I'm happy to try the gas. So I did that and it was fine. Like it didn't make me feel, make me feel sick or anything, but I think because my breath was just so short and sharp I wasn't really getting enough in for the effect to take place kind of thing so I was more so using it to like bite on it rather than for the effects of the gas so this went on for a few hours and like in the end I was just like whimpering and crying I was like I'm I just can't do this kind of thing and I looked at Will and I was like I I I need an epidural I can't do this and um he was like you told me that you would do this that you would try and convince me that um, you should get one and that I needed to say no. And I was like, <laughs> I've oh changed my, my mind, Will. I've changed my mind. <laughs> he's, like, he's like, oh, God, oh, God. And he was looking at me like, I don't know what to do. And you could tell he was like, give her the epidural. But at the same time, he was like, you told me to 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 pull your head in if, if you mentioned this kind of thing. And then I looked at Kylie. And I was like, Kylie, I can't do this. And she's like, okay, how about I check you in two hours? And I was like, two hours? What's wrong with you? <laughs> and she's like, you know, Emma, like you're doing such a good job and, you know, you know, think back to calm birth, like you might be transitioning, like all this sort of stuff. And I was like, yeah, yeah, okay, if I'm transitioning, amazing, but you need to check me and tell me if I'm transitioning because I'm just like, I can't do this anymore. And she she did. She's like, okay, all right, fine, fine. And she checked me and I was I was four centimetres. So I was literally just at that point I was like, give it to me. And she's like, okay, I think that that's fair enough and that perhaps you need to relax because you just can't 
do that at the moment so that might help you relax and so off she went page the anaesthetist and then oh he was pretty quick to come about 10 minutes later I heard him behind the curtains and he said like Em and Will it's it's me it's Michael and we both looked at each other and we we knew him he was like a friend of ours he's actually Lyndall from Calm Birth's husband oh wow and it was just And it was like, Will surfed with him before I used to work with him in ED. And I was like, oh, my God. And he's like, do you, do you mind if I do it? I'm like, I don't care if the cleaner does it. Someone come in and do it. Like, <laughs> and so he's like, okay, okay, okay. So he came in and I was like, don't tell Lyndall there's nothing calm about this. Like, he's like, I'm not telling Lyndall anything. He's like, I won't tell her anything. Don't worry. <laughs> And I was like, okay, so he did it. And I sort of said to him, like, I'd heard a lot about walking epis and I really want, like, that was something that was like really interested me because I still wanted to be able to move around and stuff. And he goes, look, the dose that I've given you in theory should be a walking, walking epi, but just hospital policy like you know we're just we haven't progressed that far here so we don't have a policy in place for you to actually be able to get up and move around but you should be able to move around the bed and stuff and it was perfect I could it I could still feel the contractions but they were pressure they weren't pain and that's what I wanted because I'd had some friends that had epidurals and they just couldn't feel anything and they didn't even know how to push or anything because there was just no feeling so I still knew when the contractions were coming but they weren't painful which is what I needed so we all sort of sighed a big sigh of relief when the pain went away. Will had a nap and he was like, oh, okay, that was stressful. Like, you know, <laughs> he went he went and got something to eat and I sort of had a little bit of a rest and, and things like that. And then that's when things started to progress, which was awesome. Like I could feel the contractions coming closer and closer together. And even when I looked down at my tummy, like I could see it getting lower and lower. And I was like, okay, like I felt like I could feel the baby moving down. And then it'd been a couple of hours and then the baby's heart rate, it went up. And then I all of a sudden spiked temperature and started like sort of chattering. And my midwife was like, okay, like you've been in labor for a while now. So like, this is kind of maybe sending us a little bit of a message that the baby's starting to get a little bit stressed out in there. So I'm just going to talk to the obstetrician and see what she says. And the obstetrician came in and she was this beautiful lady. Like she was 30 weeks pregnant herself. And she was like, I've read your birth plan. I know you're really, really keen to have a VBAC. The heart rate's a little bit concerning. So what we can do if you consent to it is uh, it's called like a, a fetal scalp blood lactate level where they actually take like a scraping of blood from the baby's head and they measure the lactate level, which is what lactates what is produced if the baby's not getting enough oxygen and the environment gets a bit acidic and if it's over a certain amount then that indicates that that the baby might be struggling a bit and we need to talk about options but if it's less than a certain amount then then I'm fine for you to sort of keep going and like I was happy with that plan and I felt like it was a good compromise so that's what we did and the and it came back fine and so she was happy for me to keep going and I had a bad headache at that point so I just said to her could I have a couple of Panadol and that actually helped to bring my temperature down as well and then when my temperature came down the baby's heart rate came down as well so we were good I was like okay all right like I just felt like at this point we were just jumping over little hurdles to kind of get to the end and then they did an internal and checked me and she said yeah, you're, you're nine centimeters. And I was just like, yes, like I was so ecstatic. She said, you've got a lip, like a one centimeter lip on your cervix, but the baby's head's not in the right position. I can't remember what 
the terminology was, but she basically said it's not safe for you to push the baby with its head in that position at, at the moment. So we'll see how you go over the next hour or so, but ideally you would fully dilate and then the head would move into the right position. So yeah, that sort of last hour was when we were like, we got into full calm birth mode. Like we were like, all right, we're going to use those visualization techniques that we talked about. And I just was just really, really trying hard to visualize like the baby moving into the right position and the head rotating and like cervix opening. And Will was doing some of the acupressure points and our friend who's acupuncturist, he was even on the phone telling him, all right, do this, do that, blah, blah, blah. I was trying to move around the bed, trying to get into like comfortable positions to help and everything. And then, yeah, they checked an hour after and they were all blown away. They were like, you're 10 centimeters dilated and the head is ready to go. Like, what did you just do then? And it was just, it was so amazing. Like I just couldn't even believe that it, it had worked. So, and it just made me feel like all that preparation that we had done in the lead up was so worth it. So, and they even said like the heart rate had settled so much and, and the baby looked so content that they were like, just cruise for a bit longer because if they descend on their own, it's a lot easier for you to push rather than having to push from an up high position. So that's what we did. We waited. And then about half an hour later, his heart rate started to drop. So that's when my midwife had said, okay, I think we should start pushing. Like, I think he's ready to come out now. We didn't know it was a boy at that point, but it was like, yeah, he's ready to come out now. So let's do it. At that stage, it was about eight o'clock at night. So I'd been in labor for, yeah, 14 hours. So my midwife had called in another midwife because they've got a rule with fatigue that they can't stay past a certain point. And that made me panic a little bit because I was like, she's been on this journey with us the whole time. And I totally understand she's been here forever. But I was like, oh my God. And she goes, Emma, don't worry. If you're pushing this baby out at nine o'clock, I'm not going anywhere. So I was like, okay, all right. Oh, she was the best. And even the midwife that came in, she was so good too. So it was in the end, it was just like those two and Will and I, and she's like, okay, yep, you can start pushing. And Will was like, what? like start pushing out the baby and we're like um yes darling um that's 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 the ultimate goal that's what we've been here all day trying to do and he's like okay all right should I take my flannel off what should I like where do you want me to stand <laughs> I was like mate you've been cool calm and collected up until this point Jesus <laughs> Um, did you have was, a did you have a plan for him to catch the baby or anything yes, like that? Oh, yes, yes, okay. that was the plan. So he was like, he was so just so keen and wanting to do it. So we started pushing, and I think I probably pushed for about forty five minutes in total, which felt like two seconds. It's so strange how quickly it goes, but in the end, they were like, "Yeah, you're pushing for like forty five minutes." I don't know what happened, but all of a sudden, I could feel everything. So I could feel I don't know where the epidural stopped working or what the go was, but I could feel everything, and I started to panic at that point. I was like, oh my God, I can literally feel everything ripping. And Kylie was like, it's that's that's the burning ring of fire. That's what they talk about. It's supposed to happen. And I was like, are you sure I don't need an episiotomy? And she was like, I've never had anyone ask me for an episiotomy before. No, you don't. She's like, the head's right there. Um, she said, put your hand down and have a feel. The head is right there. And that helped me a lot. As soon as I felt his head, like I could feel like the wrinkles in the hair on his head. I was like, oh my God, it's literally right there. And I looked down at my belly and you know that like you know, that day after you have the baby and that just hollow looking belly, like that's what it was. It was already this hollow belly. He wasn't in my belly anymore. Like Mm. he was in my cervix is about to come out. And that's when it really hit me. I was like, oh my gosh. So she said, look, I reckon you're two contractions away from this baby being out. And I was like, nah, I'm going to do it in one. So I was just like, 
with all my might. I just pushed and pushed and pushed. And she said, just because of his size, she'd told me previously that what they would usually do is you get the head out, wait for the next contraction and then push the rest of him out. But given his size, she wanted me to just once the head was out, just keep on pushing. So that's what we did just in one contraction. I just pushed and then I just heard her saying, Will, hands, Will. (laughs) And he was like, oh my God, because he wasn't expecting it to be so quick. And so he he managed to get in there and reach down and, and then they pulled Billy out and up onto my chest, which is just like the most amazing euphoric experience. I will never, ever forget it. It was just the best moment of my life. It was, oh, I still get shivers when I think about it. <laughs> That's so great. Congratulations. And this was only really six months ago, Emma. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was in July of last year. Yeah. And tell us a little bit more about those moments following. Yeah, so they skin. were really good. Yeah, so I said to them that I um, I wanted um, skin to skin straight away and that I didn't want him to be taken away for weighing or vaccinations or anything like that until I was ready and they were great with that. They put him on my chest. He breast crawled and latched straight away and then fed for ages for a couple of hours. So it was just such a contrast. I had a second degree tear, so I just needed a couple of stitches, which I consented to. I could still feel everything, so they gave me a bit of extra local but Billy stayed on my chest the whole time that they were doing that which and they were really on board with that as well they were great and then yeah I think it was probably two or three hours after that I said that I was ready for them to take him and weigh him and so they did that and I was looking at him going no he's way smaller than Bowie was and then they put him on the scales and he was way bigger he was four nearly 4.3 kilos or 4.28 kilos so he was really good decent size but I mean they still look tiny when the they're that size anyway it's funny yeah Yeah, wow how did you go with your placenta or did you you, did you have delayed cord clamping as well yeah we did we had delayed cord clamping um I didn't end up having a physiological third stage I yeah I consented to the um injection um at that point I was just so so exhausted and over it I was like whatever if that's what you recommend if that's what you recommend go for it yeah Um, but the difference was I was actually able to like see my placenta. That's something that with Bowie's birth, I'd forgotten to ask. And I was really sad afterwards because they'd obviously just taken it and thrown it away. And I was like, oh no, I actually really wanted to see it. And I don't know, maybe I would have wanted to keep it. I, I just wanted, and I for- wasn't given that chance to do that. So yeah, my midwife, like she, she was showing me my placenta and she was like, she's like, this is where it touched your uterus and this is where it touched to Billy. And she showed me like parts of it had started to break down. So she said like he was definitely ready to come and that's when it was like very very evident that my body was ready this time it wasn't ready with Bowie but it was ready this time I did need a bit of extra help with the Foley's catheter but it responded because it was ready so yeah such a huge difference we were home by 11 o'clock the next day it was just such a different experience after being in hospital for a, a week just like you know drugged up with Bowie and then to be home in like my own environment, just polar opposite. Like I felt there was no baby blues. There were no migraines. There was like, obviously there was a bit of pain, but it wasn't the amount of pain that I'd had with my first birth. So the difference was just, it was intense. It was insane. Yeah. Wow. In terms of physical recovery, now you're six months on. How do you feel? How is your pelvic floor and everything down there? Yeah, you it's good. good. Yeah, I actually mm. went and saw um, one of the women's health physio here in Wollongong. She's amazing and she's got a big passion in particularly any pelvic floor related 
concerns. And that's something that I try and teach a lot in my prenatal classes as well, like raising awareness for women that they shouldn't feel embarrassed if they do have any sort of issues postpartum and to get them addressed because often they can be repaired if you address them in the early stages. So I went and saw her and just got a bit of advice on how things were and easing back into exercise. And she gave me the all clear pretty early on. I told her my birth story and she did say that she was a little bit concerned that with the amount of yoga and activity that I've done that I might have a hypertoned pelvic floor and she said often women that do have hypertoned pelvic floor benefit from epidural because it helps them to completely relax like without them even realizing it's they've got releasing that muscle sort of thing and allowing the baby to descend okay I hadn't actually thought of that the other way because yeah I guess the the focus is a lot on strengthening that muscle yes so yeah exactly can... yeah and I, I was the same I you I think there is a lot of focus on building your pelvic floor when there's actually some instances where you might be doing more harm than good so a lot of it is more so on like really visualizing and pinpointing where your pelvic floor is and that can help you to either contract or relax it yeah she says she had seen a lot of instances where women had benefited from the epidural for that reason because without them even knowing they were tensing their pelvic floor so it just helped them to completely relax so that was actually like it's funny that I did feel a bit of shame around getting an epidural and I wish that that wasn't the case, but that did help me work through that. And I don't think I would have been able to do it without it, even though, you know, in the future, I'd obviously love to try. But (laughs) I think that in conjunction with the scar tissue, I, yeah, you know, I I think that there was a few factors there that kind of called for an epidural. Yeah. Why do you think some people sort of feel that shame surrounding epidurals? Do you think there's an idea that comes from somewhere about not needing any pain relief yeah I think so I think that I think that there is a big division at the moment in the birth world and that you either have to be like highly medicalized or completely natural and I'm a big big advocate for kind of trying to combine the both I think there's so much more to it than just choice but I I think that there needs to be more emphasis on women having all of the information and then making an informed choice themselves and it's hard because it's hard to get a platform where you've got an unbiased opinion like you go to your GP and you ask what the best you know thing to do with your pregnancy is and she'll give you options but it's going to be biased based on what she thinks the best option is yeah Um, so it is it's hard for women to make those choices and I do think that there's a bit of a division at the moment in the birthing world that you need to be one or the other when Mm. that really that doesn't have to be the case I don't think Mm. yeah Mm. I agree with you yeah yeah there's no black or white there's variances and it all depends on your situation but I like the point that you made about just being informed you know and having that information in in the first place you're obviously really well supported as well I think having perhaps that midwife as well that trust do you think that that played a, a huge role in because you were able to sort of trust in her guidance that you felt relaxed about the next step if, if you needed yeah. to have another vaginal examination or have an epidural in that communication, trusted communication. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. And I did. I trusted her. And that's why we had that discussion about me leaving that nurse brain at the door and letting her call the shots. And I knew that she would pull me in if she thought that I was pushing the limits. So when mm. she made suggestions, I trusted that that was the right thing to do. Yeah. I have to say, Willa was an awesome advocate for you as well. 
Oh my God, he was the best. Will. Yes, <laughs> he was the best. He still, talk, he still talks about it now. He's still like, babe, we should show them the photos. I'm like, no, we won't do that. <laughs> we won't do that. But you can tell them the story. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Oh, thank you so much, Emma, for sharing your story with us. We're That's really okay. happy to have you on. And it's been really interesting hearing your perspective and, and, and such a unique you know, situation as well that you've been in. With the Scartucci, there was a little bit of research, but not heaps. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I do hope that if there are other women that do have a similar situation, this may help them that, like, you know, make decisions about what their next steps may be and not discourage them either because it was, it was hard not to be discouraged by it. Yeah, there's options. There's definitely options. Mm, particularly after what your first obstetrician had said to you. I know, 15% 15 percent chance, I was like, bam. (laughs) If you were to have like any subsequent pregnancies and births, would you go that same um, route with the Foley's catheter or are there other options like for other women say that have had the LEPS procedure and they have that scar tissue? Are you able to surgically have the scar tissue removed or what? Are I did options? I did ask about that and they said like you would just make more scar tissue from removing yeah. it so they sort of said um everyone's different and you don't know until like you go into labor whether or not it's going to affect it's an issue and, or not. Yeah, yeah so they'd had she'd my midwife had had women with scar tissue before and it didn't matter so I think it depends on how much scar tissue where the scar tissue is but she did say to me that she's thinking that now that my cervix has completely stretched and dilated that I may have stretched the scar tissue as well so oh, right. in okay. yeah so in subsequent pregnancies like I might be able to you know spontaneously labor now just because we've mm. we've move that scar yeah I was just one of the unfortunate ones that it did affect and it'd be interesting to see in future pregnancies if you know if it's going to cause the same sort of thing or whether or not yeah but again we won't know until the time it was so good he was born it was six months ago did you Mm -hmm. were listening to the podcast as well oh my god you guys were like you guys seriously (laughs) i really religiously i'd listen to every single episode and i would wait for the next one to drop like you guys what you're doing is so so amazing it gave me so much confidence hearing other women that had done it before so you are you're both incredible because this is definitely that's if i've got friends that are going for a VBAC I'm like okay you need to listen to VBAC Australia podcast <laughs> you have to get on there because you cover such a broad range of topics and interview so many different women that have had different stories so if they helped me so much so if this story can help other people I'm stoked oh, thank oh, you lovely to hear. <laughs> really nice to hear yeah thank you so much it was so good thank you for listening to this VBAC story if you like the show please subscribe and feel free to leave a review If you would like to connect with us on social media, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook. Just search for VBAC Birth Stories. If you have a question or you'd like to express interest in sharing your personal story, email us at vbacbirthstories at gmail.com. VBAC Birth Stories is a podcast where we share women's lived experiences. Please be advised that it's not intended to replace medical advice. If you have any concerns at all during your pregnancy, please always speak to your healthcare provider.